Welcome back, everybody. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. And we are on the Rebel Alliance Media Network. If you haven't had a chance yet, go and check out the Rebel Alliance Media Network uh, with their suite of podcasts, uh, their blogs, articles, plenty of awesome resources for you and your family to help you engage the culture from a biblical point of view. Uh, we are, we're a proud member of that network, and I'd encourage you to go and check them out at rebelalliancemedia.com. We're back this week with the second half of the interview with Douglas Wilson on the subject of music. I get into Doug's own history with the contemporary Christian music movement in the, in the 70s. Uh, we talk about the, uh, the purpose of music and the, the historic aesthetic accomplishments that have been, that have been achieved by Christians, and the, the weird um, copycat scene that we see uh, in a lot, of, uh, a lot of Christian artists these days. And Doug lays out some principles and some advice for aspiring Christian musicians who want to make great, who want to make great music to the glory of God. And we wrap up by finding out who his favorite artist is. Uh, you, you talked you talked earlier about uh, about some of the experiences that you had with uh, with the contemporary Christian music yes. uh, movement uh, early, early on. Yes. Um, Maybe uh, maybe you could, you could just uh, talk talk a little bit about that and yeah, what uh, what are we to make of this this kind of parallel track of mm-hmm. Christian music? Is this right. uh, is this a is, is this a, a legitimate category in, in the way that it's been used? I th- I think it it'd be better to say it could be a legitimate category. Okay. Okay. Um, but there are pitfalls in every direction. Sure. Um, so just autobiographical background, the, the way I wound up as a pastor was because I was the, uh, a guitar player and I was, um, out of the Navy. Um, I was leading, I was the song leader for our church. It was a small church plant. Right. The, um, uh, and the man who was doing the preaching for the church plant about a year and a half into it announced one Sunday that he was going to be gone the next Sunday and good luck everybody. And. And I was up front with the guitar. So that was my, um, so I preached the next Sunday and, and where do we go from here? And that's how I wound up as the minister of Christ church. And there were other things involved and uh, whatnot, but that's positionally where I was. Holding the guitar was uh, your only qualification. Right. But it was the, it was the thing that got me in the wrong, the wrong spot at the wrong time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so there was that, and then at the same time, I was a I was a college student at the time after the Navy, and while while during that uh, era in the mid seventies, I did um, uh, I was a concert promoter. So I I was I'm enough of a musician to have led the uh, singing in church, and I was promoting concerts, and we had a bunch of people uh, come through John John Fisher and second chapter of Acts and Keith Green and mm-hmm. um, Barry McGuire. And one of the things that uh, over time, and, and, and not just, just those people, but over time, I, be, I, I began to get uh, disillusioned with the whole contemporary Christian music scene. Right? And I was in a band also. So I was, I was a song leader. I was in a band. I was in the thick of all of this and yeah, we, yeah. And we uh, 
we cut an album and uh, one time uh, one time Nancy and I were up we were up in Canada actually in Vancouver BC and I went into a Christian bookstore and flipping through the record bin LP bin and found one of our records and I what was your band called uh, it was called Mountain Angel Band okay. and Mountain Angel Band and I just called Nancy over and said look honey we're internationally unknown <laughs> people people are not buying this record up here in Canada too. (laughs) So we, um, we weren't exactly making a living uh, out of, uh, out of this, but we were, you know, concert promoter, um, uh, our band opened for Randy Stonehill once, you know, we were in the thick of all this. So I, so I had a a front row seat to a lot of the things that were going on. Mm -hmm. And while there were, um, solid, sober, good people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Barry McGuire was a delight. He was just a delight. That we, we also had Christian bands coming through that had no business ministering, no business being on the road, no business doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, wrecking your family for the ministry of, um, uh, dubious ministry of this sort of thing. And, and here, so there are several pitfalls. One is where you have third-rate bands yeah. um, trying to get extra juice by saying, and and Jesus likes us, you know. So, yeah. uh, uh, so we're we're gonna we can't make it in the big time, mm-hmm. and and we're, so we're gonna make it on the in the in the farm leagues, the in the minor leagues, and the price of playing in the minor leagues is you have to do the Jesus thing. Um, and so that can become a temptation or an invitation to um, be second rate, third rate. Uh, that's one temptation. The other temptation is being first rate. <laughs> so when uh, when people were really accomplished musicians, you know, that they were really, really good. And they were really good not using different weights and measures. Right. So... Uh, Phil Keggy is yeah. not a, is not a good guitarist in Christian terms. That's right. He's a good guitarist, right? Yeah, that's, you know, uh, that's exactly the uh, the guy I had in mind. Okay. He played at uh, he played at Paul McCartney's sister's wedding. Okay, did he really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so a good example. Phil Keggy knows his chops. He knows his stuff. So he he does that, and uh, so whenever a, a Christian musician got into the top tier where they were really objectively good or good enough to go into the majors yeah. and they would call it crossing over. So when, when Christian bands crossed over into the secular market, everybody on the Christian side said collectively altogether, uh Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Because they saw it as a downgrade or as a spiritually hazardous Right. Okay. So if you're going to go over there and try to be a successful musician, um, getting your songs on the top 40 and the radio and everything, well, that means you're chasing the bright lights in the big city, you know, gone to my baby's head. And, and everybody says, uh oh. And it didn't help matters that a number of the people who crossed over did flame out. Hmm. Right. So, in, in other words, it was not an unwarranted fear. Sure. Right. Uh, so uh, if people were chase, chasing fame in the Christian circuit and it wasn't enough fame and they were good enough and they made the jump, uh, well, it turns out you can wreck your life over there. Mm-hmm. And people did. So uh, whether it was uh, 
adultery and divorce or drugs or, you know, coming on the gay thing or, you know, whatever it was. A number of Christian bands disgraced themselves um, that way. And so there's, I'm fond of saying there's a ditch, always a ditch on both sides of the road. So if you, if you keep your music Christian, if you're going to say, I'm a Christian, um, uh, I'm a Christian artist, there is the ditch of um, coming to inhabit a ghetto, a musical ghetto. Right. Yeah. Um, if you say, well, I'm going to make, I'm not a Christian musician, I'm a musician who happens to be a Christian. Okay, th- that's defensible. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be, the, when you say you happen to be a Christian, you have to say, I'm a musician who happens to be a committed Christian who loves Jesus more than anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you have to go over there and um, be willing to wreck your career if saving your career means denying Christ. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, I, I like how you, uh, you, you ended that there to say that it meant denying Christ. Like I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think that what makes someone a, a Christian artist or an artist who is a Christian is to their, their Jesus per minute count. In, Correct. In the lyrics. Right. Uh, so, uh, if you said, um, Let's say, um, here's an example. When you read C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories, mm-hmm. you see you see the Christ story all the way through it. When you read his book Till We Have Faces, um, you have to do a you have to do some more search. It's not right there on the surface for yeah. you, yeah. but it's uh, but if you reflect on it deeply and um, and pursue it. You can see that Till We Have Faces is a profoundly um, Christian book, but it's not, the Christianity is not on the surface. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if nobody had ever heard of C.S. Lewis and you printed it under a different name and you sold that book in a secular bookstore, um, a lot of people would say, oh, this is, this is trippy. Uh, yeah. I, wonder, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what this is all about. But if you pursued it, you know, it's just, it's the same. It's all there because uh, your theology is going to come out in your work, right? right. You, but it doesn't. It doesn't have to come out in the Jesus count, as you put it. Mm-hmm. I grew. I was a teenager in the late '90s, early 2000s, and one of the one one of the big things in evangelicalism was uh, this, uh, like the the fact that or this this movement. Uh, so like I don't listen to the lyrics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that uh, that was happening uh, around you guys. As well. I've, I've I've heard that before. Yes. Yeah, that kind of statement, and then it's it's not wrong. Like you can, it's easy to hide. Or it's easy to get someone to sing along to something that's totally antithetical to whatever else they believe. If you've got a a catchy hook behind it. Um, uh, yes, that's true. And but I think it's basically people who say I don't listen to the lyrics. Uh, I would say, so why do the bands put them in there then? Yeah. yeah. Why why aren't they just yelling or grunting? And, you know, why why lyrics? Uh, is, the issue is not whether you're intending to listen to them, but why does the band offer them to you? Right. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, and, and the, I think it's just a lame excuse because if you were to um, 
at your dinner at your dining room table some evening ask your aunt millie to read the here i printed off the lyrics uh to the songs on my son's playlist that yeah, i found yeah uh, aunt millie would you read them for us right. uh, everybody would be humiliated down into the ground um and so they have to they have to do something about and it's just a lame excuse i don't listen to them i'd say okay if you're not listening to them then you've got no defense right mm-hmm. if if you're not listening to them i i can see a person going to listen to a song with his worldview filters up mm-hmm. and and critically engage with it um and say you know i don't think that that's right and here you know and and be unaffected be mm-hmm. be strengthened by it but if you're telling me that you have no filters and you're not listening and you're not paying attention then you're just telling me that you're just a you're just a lamb among wolves right right yeah for sure and one, one of the things that kind of went, uh, or one of the res- responses uh, from the Christian side that kind of went hand in glove with that was these, and I, I'm, I'm not sure how much of it was just like some, some retail marketing or how much of it was a conscious effort on the part of the band, mm-hmm. but uh, you get these sound-alike bands or these, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you, uh, you walk into the Christian bookstore and it's like, you know, if, uh, if you enjoy Pearl Jam, if you enjoy Aerosmith, Try to check these guys out. Right. Um, and yeah. it, it, it reminds me, you made, you mentioned it earlier that uh, we've we've just been trying to play catch up with the cool kids. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's just embarrassing. You know, mm. uh, Christians are Christians are capable of um, astounding aesthetic accomplishments. Yeah. Um, we invented the cathedral and we invented many classical forms of music and we invented the novel and we invent, you know, uh, Christians have nothing to be embarrassed about until the 20th century and the 21st century where we, where we turned into copycats Mm -hmm. and, um, and we copy everything. My, the comparison I use is, um, evangelicals are like a drunk Japanese businessman singing along to the stones at a karaoke bar. <laughs> he, he knows everything about the stones. He knows the inflections. He can s- reproduce the words. He knows everything about the song except what it means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and that's, that's the copycat eye of the evangelical. We, we copy everything. And we have, a, we have a, an imitator's eye for the detail. Calvin Klein t-shirts become Christ the King t-shirts yeah, yeah. and uh, Tommy uh, Hilfiger becomes Tommy Hellfighter and you know, we we copy the the font we copy the logo we copy everything about it except what it's about right, right. and we're just clueless and so um, if the, if the world starts doing the purple hair thing we do the purple hair thing and if and if somebody stopped you and said ooh you know what an interesting arrangement. However, did you think of it? Yeah. Um, well, I didn't think of it. I copied. Right. 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 And that copycat um, impulse extends into the aesthetics, into the the style of music. And um, I think we just need to repent. Hmm. That's good. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's good counsel. Yeah. Um, Two, two related questions um, on uh, speaking, speaking of counsel. Um, 
what, what, what advice would you have, um, first of all, for uh, young Christian musicians, aspiring Christian musicians, mm-hmm. people who, who love Jesus, uh, who, who want to make great music to the glory of God? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, uh, how, how should they be thinking? What, what, are the, what are the most important things for them to bear in mind? I think that an aspiring musician, and let's say, let me let's let me specify what kind of musician he's going to be. Uh, let's say a singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. Okay, if if someone says, uh, or let's say I'm a dad, and I discover in my junior high son or daughter that I think that they've got abilities here and they've got desires to go in that direction, what advice would I give them? Right. I would say, if you want to be a singer-songwriter, then you need musical literacy. You need to be musically literate. You need to be able to sight-read. Sight-read a piece of of music, um, which I don't think everybody needs needs to do. But I think people who want to make a living at it, people who want to be musicians, should be able to sight-read. Occasionally, you'll get some musical genius who can do everything by ear, and they can't read music. Dave Brubeck for... The first two thirds of his career couldn't read music. Yeah, that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, so we give Dave Brubeck a pass and say, okay, you can do it. <laughs> but if if you're talking to a kid who wants to make a career in it, what do I do to equip myself? Well, I'd say learn your tools. If you want to work in this area, learn everything you can learn about this. And I would say um, also get a first rate education and learn poetry um, because. Great lyrics are uh, should great lyrics of a great song should be um, able to stand on their own, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then and a great melody should be able to stand on its own. An instrumental form of a great melody should be able. Oh, that's nice. And uh, you read the lyrics to. Oh, that's great. And if you put them together, it's potent, right? So I th- I would say that singer songwriters should be well-educated and disciplined in the art of poetry and in the art of basic music, musical literacy, and then um, proficient on the instrument, their instrument of choice, whether the piano or the guitar or whatever, they should be skillful. Somewhat related, but um, advice for parents who care about the kind of music that their their kids are listening to, or maybe they're someone like me and the kid, my kids, uh, are listening to the music that I let them listen to. But that's yeah, we're getting out of that pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things you want to do is make sure that um, that your kids don't get caught up in the race to the bottom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I think there's two two errors here. One is to let your kids become. Uh, people who just slum it, who just chase whatever the world's doing. Yeah. And the wor- the music is getting more and more degraded and they're just going along. Yeah. The alternative, and this is something that many Christian parents, I think, have also fall- slipped up in, and they create musical snobs um, where, you know, in our homeschooling family, everybody plays the violin and everybody's going to get a scholarship to Harvard, right. um, that sort of thing. And, uh, and... God bless them. That that part is fine. Sure. But the, the 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 snobbishness is never never fine, because there there are uh, uh, sterling and outstanding examples of musicianship 
um, what Francis Schaeffer called the mannishness of man mm. comes out in all kinds of places. And so if you took, if let's say take um, four kinds of music, um, uh, classical music, jazz, um, country, Western, and rock. Okay. Now, there are superb musicians and superb poets in all four. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so uh, a musician ought to be, uh, someone who's uh, not just skilled and very narrow, should be able to recognize excellence wherever he sees it. Okay. So um, I took, I took classical, uh, classical guitar lessons for a while from very at the University of Idaho from a very accomplished classical guitarist. And one time we were chatting and I I asked him about Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and he said, Oh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, (laughs) what an amazing, you know, so he's a classical musician, but he didn't sneer. He didn't sneer at it because it was in another genre. Right. Okay. But there is a difference between the genres. Okay. When, and I'm just right now, I'm just talking about, uh, craft uh, competence, tech, technical proficiency. If if you're a classical musician, if you want to play for the local symphony orchestra, um, and you're a violinist, you have to be good. It's, it's not optional. Okay, you have to be good. If you want to play uh, in a jazz quartet, if you want to be the guitarist in a jazz quartet, you have to be good. It's not optional. Okay. Um, if you're a country western star, you don't have to be good. <laughs> and uh, now many of them are, right? Yeah. Many of them are really good, and many of them are as good as the jazz and the classical music. Right. But um, one of my rules of thumb is if I'm watching someone on the television making a hundred dollars a minute, um, and he's doing things that I know how to do, yeah, and I could I could do that. I'd say, okay, somebody's somebody's making out like a bandit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing is true of uh, rock. There are rock musicians who are superb musicians, but it's not required. You can game the system, right? right? Um, uh, Chuck Berry once said, 18 great chords, uh, three great chords, 18 great albums." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? uh, so you can get the basics down, and and there there have even been instances where. Uh, people have, I heard there was an Israeli band once where they they recruited a band based on the, the look they wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they taught them how to play. You know, the, then they said, okay, we're going to, this is this, the the sound we're going to get from you. And was then... That, how the monkeys came about? It was pretty close to how, how the monkeys... But the monkeys had it. Uh, uh, Peter... Oh, he just passed away. Yeah, um, yeah was a real musician. Um, but the, uh, there are pop forms of music that are just, it's just a consumption item. Right. So, yeah. um, nobody is going to, uh, say to, and to my great, great grandson, I'm, I bequeath all my, uh, Spice Girls CDs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, those are consumption items and they're gone. They're going to be long gone. Right. I do believe that there are, um, forms of pop music that are lasting and will stay, you know, that, that are going to make it. Um, where 
I think that uh, Lennon and McCartney had mm-hmm. had a real genius for the melodic hook. Sure. Right. And 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 so um, in in what's his face? Uh, oh, forgotten his name. All God's children. Yeah, uh, Ken Myers. All God's children in blue suede shoes. Mm-hmm. He distinguishes uh, pop music and folk music and uh, classical music. Uh, but pop music and pop music is sort of a convenience store music. It's a consumption item. Yeah. You you just you know you listen to your Milli Vanilli and then you you're done. Uh, but and the Beatles were a, you know they were very much a pop phenomenon. Yeah. But Schaefer's Mannishness of Man comes out because there are some beautiful melodies that a lot of people remembered and started you know playing on their guitars at home and their kids grew up and for all intents and purposes um yesterday for example um becomes a folk song yes right yeah. it, because you wouldn't be surprised a hundred years from now to see different families you know passing that song down having forgotten where it came from right yeah and you'll, you'll hear you know portuguese versions of it yeah yeah exports around the world Doug, I really appreciate your time here. Um, oh, very welcome. Before, uh, before, I, before I let you go, uh, can you recommend any uh, any books on us on the subject of thinking about music? Yeah, um, I, I mentioned uh, All God's Children, Blue Suede Shoes. That's mm-hmm. a good biblical worldview introduction. I don't know that I buy everything that Ken argues for there, but I think it's a it's an intelligent book and well worth um, considering. All God's Children and Blue Suede Shoes. There's another book that I found very helpful called A Hole in Our Soul uh, by Martha Bayless. Hmm. Hole in Our Soul. And it's sort of a history of modern pop music. And uh, what many people um, what many people attribute to pop music necessarily, I think, happened to pop music the same time it happened to, to all the rest of our culture. So... Uh, I don't think pop music was necessarily the driving engine of a lot of our uh, losses, but suffered many of the losses right along with everything else. Our our unbelief, our secularization, our, uh, our falling away from Christ had an impact there. So, uh, a hole in our soul by Martha Bayless is very um, a very helpful, um, uh, good uh, read. Um, there's a another book. Um, this is kind of a it's called the Lutheran um, Lutheran Worship Wars, hmm. the the first three centuries. <laughs> so uh, it's a history of music, choral music, and congregational music coming out of the Reformation era, and the battle between the trained musicians in the congregation and the regular schmoes in the congregation right. is not a new thing. That's not a new problem. Um, we've had it s- since the beginning of the of the Reformation. Um, so that's a, that's more of a scholarly work, but there's a lot of valuable, uh, information, uh, in it. So that's, that's a good place to start those yeah, books. Yeah, those all sound, uh, valuable in their own way. Um, uh, finally, what's, uh, do you have a favorite artist? Oh, <laughs> I do. Um, if, if you said like a, a favorite playlist or favorite, yeah, no, is that I what you mean? Sure. Yeah. So I haven't I haven't bought an album for over a decade probably because everything's changed. Right. 
um, we we consume music in in a much different uh, way. Mo- almost all the music I listen to now is on uh, is on Spotify, right. and uh, which I enjoy. I would say probably if if you ask me for my favorite artist in all the different genres he's operated in, um, I'd have to say Eric Clapton. Right. So he's um, he's um, he's a good bluesman. He, he, he so his album uh, "Me and Mr. Johnson," where he's doing uh, uh, Robert Johnson. To, he's a, he's a good good blues artist, but he's also done some very listen uh, um, uh, some pop music that is just sophisticated sophisticated pop music that's yeah. very uh, very good. He's if you like some of the heavier stuff early on. You know he's he's good there. He's versatile across uh, sort of across the the board, um, and then his unplugged album I think is very uh, oh, just a lot of fun. So I'd say if there's one artist that I appreciate um, over the decades, over the genres, in all sorts of different ways, uh, more than others, it'd probably be Eric Clapton. Very cool. All right. Thanks a lot again for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.